Welcome to the Between the Dream podcast. I'm your host, Richard Taylor Jr. Today is Monday, September 28th, 2020. Hope that you all are doing well. Hope that you've had a great weekend. And I am so excited to be here with you all. For my new listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. I ask that you subscribe on whatever platform you might be listening on. For those of for those of you all that are returning, thank you so much for the continued support, my dream team. I appreciate you all. Guys, so the month of September is coming to a close, and you know that we have done so many conversations over the month about suicide and, more importantly, suicide prevention. Um, I told you that I really wanted to be intentional with this month to make sure that I was bringing conversations that brought about resources. And so today's conversation, as we start to wind down with the last few days, is probably going to be one of the most critical ones from a standpoint that um, this person that I have joining us today is very special um, to myself, um, but then also just in her story. And I cannot wait for you all to hear from her. She does a ton of stuff, and I'm going to let you, I'm going to let her tell you more about her work. But I will say this, as a mother, um, as a survivor, as a person who I call, a, I call her personally a fitness influencer, right? I don't know if she's taken that title, but she definitely, I, I get my glute workouts a lot of times from the stuff <laughs> that she posts. So and without further ado, I, my good friend, Myra Griyalva, I yes. said it right. Boom. Uh, I was, sorry, I was trying to add the accent in. Before we started, I told her, I was like, if I mess this up, you owe me later. But I'm, I owe you later. But anyways, Myra, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I am very happy to be here. Absolutely. And so this is going to be so chill. So I just want you to know that, um, first and foremost, how appreciative I am of you being on here because of not only the brevity of the conversation, but I think more importantly, for those of you all who are listening, um, uh, Myra is, this is her first time sharing this story just in general with anybody in the public eye, outside yeah. of you know her internal workings of healing. And so that makes it more important today. Today, we will be talking about um, losing a spouse to uh, suicide and what that healing process looks like, what the process as a whole looks like, how do you bounce back, how do you pick up the pieces. And so Myra, thank you so much because I do not take your presence lightly and I do not take you sharing this with us lightly. Um, but understanding that so many people go through this and they live in silence with it and you have something so special that they need. So thank you. Right. Thank you. And the situation, although quite unfortunate, it's still, I have to share his story. I have to share our story in hopes that it helps at least one person in the future reconsider and give just one more day, just another chance. Just Absolutely. If, so that's, I mean, if, if it helps somebody in the future, for me, that it makes this a little less painful or Love at least it. a little bit more tolerable. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I want to dive into all of this with you. Before we do that, though, I wanted the people to at least know a little bit about you and the work that you do. I know you, uh, you train, you have clients, you're a mom of three. Yeah. Um, you do a lot. Like I've seen the videos, the posts. My, I'm going to tell you all right now. Myra's done done some handiwork. She make a lot of these husbands that go to Ikea look foolish, putting stuff together. So just overall, like life-wise, work-wise, what do you do? Um, and, and, and just, I guess, every, you're Wonder Woman. So all of the titles that you hold, um, who's Myra? So, okay, most importantly, I'm a mom. So I have three kids, a 10-year-old, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old. And right now they are 
driving me crazy because they are home <laughs> all day. So this Love is quarantine. a complete change for, you know, I, I feel and I can relate to many other adults who are transitioning and having their kids at home 24 seven, no longer we're kind of out of our routines. And so for me, um, being a mom has led me to obviously wanting to pursue um, education. So I just finished, um, after my husband's suicide, I finished my associate's degree in business administration. And I then, because of his death and because of the suicide, I began pursuing fitness as an outlet just for mental clarity and my own sanity. So that hobby is turning into a career path for me as I started taking on clients and and, um, taking certifications and moving in the direction of taking this seriously full-time. So I'm completely shifting my business major background into um, kinesiology or at least some type of exercise science. Nice. That's amazing though, too. Like, so, I mean, Hey, in the, in the, the, the business administration side can still definitely play so heavily into that. It's it's coming together. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. If you know what, I'm just, I'm kind of following my heart and following my healing path and allowing that to just kind of guide me into the, in my passion. So the one good thing that, that has come out of the situation, it has allowed me to heal in a sense that I've, I looked inward to find my own interests, my likes, dislikes, yeah. um, face myself a little bit, face myself and, and um, get past my limitations and my own self-limiting beliefs. And yeah. that just has allowed me to pursue the things that I absolutely love. I've been able to, um, I've raised money for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. I've, Lovely. you know, I've, I've, I'm happy that I've earned their t-shirts for donating and raising <laughs> money for them and participating in their yearly walks. And just so it's just, it's given me the, the drive to pursue these things and be a part of these different organizations that I would have never been a part of. I don't think I would have ever done fitness, pursued my education with such passion and such purpose. Yeah. And you were like, facing you this. were blazing a trail with this too. And this is somebody obviously from the outside looking in. I remember when um, we first got connected on social media three years ago. And I had just moved to Seattle. Um, I definitely remember it. And the interesting part was that even though we had connected, like I didn't, I didn't know your story, but what caught my eye originally was the post that you had up for your bio at the time. And I think it's still your bio post now, you know, as you were talking about, you know, losing your husband. And then I went through pictures and being able to see you share this and that really hit me because I'm like obviously you know you talk about a family you talk about somebody that you had three children with you built uh, a life with and um to 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 now be in this position like my heart literally ached for you and it was crazy because I didn't know you Mm -hmm. um but that really hit me so hard because I'm like man like and maybe it's like Richard, the hopeless romantic. Like I'm all about love. I love seeing my friends in love. Needless <laughs> to say, I just at the end of the day, I really, I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a hopeless romantic, right? So Hallmark, Lifetime movies, all that's my jam. And so when you think about that love factor, but then when you think about the reality of a loved one being stripped, you know, um, usually we think about it from a standpoint of like I'll give the example. I lost my granddad back in 06 and my grandmother had been married for uh, maybe 40 some odd years by that time. That's kind of something that you would expect old age. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, but in this space and then seeing you, like if y'all saw Myra, like 
I mean, you could tell she's a grown woman, but literally, like, I mean, I'm like, I, it's evident you're young, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm like, man, like, this, this is different. This hits different. And so I, I paid a little more attention to, to you in that process because I was, I was inspired to see that even though you were in earlier phases during that time, you were making changes and you were trying. And I'm all about the underdog. And so for me to see that, I was like, yo, I'm just going to be on a, a fly on the wall here and just and just just watch. And so to see you now, um, I just want to let you know how you make a difference, like not even just to the people that are going to hear this, but to me as someone who's been blessed with the space and platform to travel mm-hmm. the globe, to to speak on this, obviously from my own lived experience. But, you know, people always ask me, you know, Richard, like what's like what, what keeps you going and motivated? And there are several things, obviously, you know, my wife, my family, um, the, the students, a lot of times who I get stories from, but then it's friends who've gone through lived experiences like yours. And I, I really pull a lot from that too, because I'm like, man, like, I'm not gonna say y'all, like you're counting on me, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like, yo, like they went through this and they're still moving. You gotta continue to move too. Right. And if you have to find, and you don't want to compare yourself, but you do want to have that sense of community, someone that you can relate the sense of pain with and you see them overcome it. And it's, I have my own people that I've leaned on for support. Personally, I've seen people that have overcome these situations that I'm living in because I'm thankful that because my husband was a veteran, I was able to connect with organizations of other Uh veteran survivors, wives, family members. So, I mean, seeing them push through and overcome it, it's, it's inspiring. And it's also, I mean, it, it tells you that there's a big problem. Exactly. It tells that there's a major issue in our society and with the way that we address mental health um, and the way that we allow people to express their emotions to us freely and, and make room and hold space for them. Yeah. To freely express themselves. So it tells me that there's a, a great need for this dialogue to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what you saying that too, I, I want to go ahead and, and, and just share a little bit uh, for us. You mentioned, you know, keeping your husband's memory alive, sharing his story, right? And that's special. And so the floor is yours. Like, I, obviously, there's so much that led up to this point. You know, you mentioned him being a veteran. Um, you mentioned him serving and all that. So just just tell us the story. Like, let like, and, and I don't, I mean, I'm not necessarily saying tell us the story of the tragedy per se, but whatever you want to share within that when it comes to this, because obviously you lived it as the wife, seeing it kind of just, you know, build up. What was that? Yeah. So for him, his story began as a young Marine, 18 years old, fresh out of high school, joined the Marine Corps. That's his, that's the one dream that he had his entire life was wow. I want to be a Marine. So he fulfilled that dream, 18 years old, went to boot camp. Um, he went into the Marine Corps in 2003. So his first deployment was 0405, then 0506, then 0607. So he did wow. three repetitive tours consecutive. Um, as a young man, as a young adult, when you're 18 years old, 19 years old, I don't think you're ready to deal with the traumas that you are facing. Absolutely. And I don't think the military really prepared them for, I mean, you get two weeks of leave, you get some debriefing, you get to go home with your family, but you were just in a combat environment for six to seven months at a time. Some guys didn't come back. 
and then you then you're kind of you flip a switch and, and you're with your family and everybody's excited to see you and you have to present this facade that you didn't just live through trauma for seven months mm -hmm. so it's his story began um that's where i started noticing some some mental health issues and um the years went on and i was hopeful that he would get help i was hopeful that that he would address the mental health issues and i and i finally thought when he left the marine corps he joined the police department so he was in the marine corps for 10 years um had a six month break and immediately went into the law enforcement academy and graduated as a law enforcement officer in 2014. okay so his his military career transitioned into a law enforcement career and i mean as a family we were ecstatic this is the, the second goal that he wanted to accomplish and he was one of those people that um he was the hardest worker in the room. He was 10 year Marine, four year army national guard. He was on the SWAT team. He coached little league football. He just, he went above and beyond for his friends, for us, wow. for his family, for his parents. Um, he was remembered for just being that goofy guy that you can always trust the hardest worker in the room. First one in last one out, you Love can it. count on him. So, I mean, in a sense, he left a lot of impression on me. And, and sometimes when I'm sitting to myself and I don't want to do things, I'm like, but Miguel would get up and do it without yeah. even questioning it. So I, I, as his military, as his law enforcement career continued, I could, I noticed a shift in his mental health. Um, even more so getting close to the anniversary of his Marines death almost a decade prior, mm -hmm. all of those things kind of turned into the perfect storm for him and you know here we are yeah but the the memory that i have of miguel was just a man who at 31 years old was able to accomplish every single dream that he had set out yeah, for himself absolutely and put so much effort into giving back to the community the country his family his friends that he was unable to turn that around and give it to himself and give himself that much attention. So yeah. for me, what I want people to take of his memory is, is all of the all of these successes that we, that we accumulate in our society. They're amazing. They're wonderful. And, and, and it's great to have a goal and to want to focus on that, but never neglect yourself. Absolutely. The soul, the, your mental health, you know, pay attention to, to your triggers, pay attention to, um, what brings you joy, sincere joy, and, you know, strive to get, strive to, you know, take, take a moment to achieve that and, and obtain that and then go on and continue on with your, with your Western society goals. <laughs> love it. Love it. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it's so important that um, we take, I think we take a real good look at ourselves when you talk about thinking about Miguel in those moments, right? Like in, in those hard moments. And it's funny because before we started, I was sharing with you about, you know, my Achilles being jacked up and I just been in a rut all week. Right. And so obviously when you're in those spaces, what do you do and, and who do you lean on and whose memory? And so it's so interesting that you talked about um, the, the portion earlier of being able to share his story and, and, and share it in this way. Um, two things that we're going to go ahead and seg into here. The first is that um, last Wednesday, I had a good friend on who talked about losing his dad to a suicide when he was younger. 
And it was crazy because we've been friends for a while now, but we had never talked about this. So I didn't know. And he was like, yeah, he was like, let's do it. Like nonchalantly, let's do a podcast episode on it. So I was like, bro, what? Like, and so he, he talked about it and it was super powerful. He, but as we were going through the conversation, him and I talked about the importance of sharing the person's strengths because even though you know they they ended with this demise and this doom and gloom that mm-hmm. he is suicide the reality is is that people look at that and don't remember like it's it's like all of the great things that were done and like you said Miguel was 31 and he was able to accomplish everything that he had on his list here I am sitting at 32 right now like man like I don't even feel like I got through 25 percent so yeah, I, I'm amazed sometimes when I tell people his story that he was able to accomplish and have everything that he had set out for himself in his entire life and accomplish that at 31 years old. And I feel like he 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 just when he was born, he hit the ground running and yeah. he lived a life just on the go and just chasing his dreams and, and he had no limitations. He had no nobody could tell him that he could not do something. And that's something that I just remember and admire so much of him. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So the second part to that conversation last week with my buddy was that he talked about how um, he was nine when it happened. He lived in denial for a while. His mom didn't tell him right away because he was so young. You being the mother of three children, um, how, how did what was that process of you explaining it to your children? Like, or have you explained it to him yet? Like, what does that look like for you? So I have a four-year-old who understands that his dad died and he Mm -hmm. looks at pictures and he says, that's my dad, but it's still, it still hasn't connected the forever that, that your dad is not coming back. So he's still, he's still kind of, he still plays with his cars and he still plays with his slime and he, you know, his stickers everywhere. So he, he's in a different, his, his mind is still very, um, pure. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 it's difficult to connect it, but he does know, he understands that he had a father and he's no longer here. My six year old struggles with, um, the forever aspect. Yeah. He understands that his dad's not here. He knows that his dad died. He says, I miss him. I want to see him. Mm-hmm. But the concept of forever, he, he still misses that. And he said, is he going to come back? When is he going to get, so he's not going to come back. So there's still right. those, um, he kind of bounces back and forth with the forever aspect. Now my 10 year old, she was seven when he passed um, his only daughter, his mini niece. So she's struggled. I've had to be completely honest with her because I, at first when he passed, because he was a police officer, she was under the impression that he was murdered, that he was killed on the the line of duty. Mm -hmm. So every time I would leave, she had major separation anxiety until one day she blew up and said, I'm scared you're going to get killed. Like my dad got killed. So at that moment, I had to face my fear of hurting her more than this has already caused her pain. Mm -hmm. Or do I allow her to heal twice once from a a lie? And then again, from the truth, from the truth. Yeah, that's good. So I had to, I had to face myself and my fear of, of crushing her even more, but I had no choice. I, I couldn't allow the tr- the, uh, this story that she created in her head because kids, they have, they have imaginations. They will mm-hmm. fill in anything that you don't speak to them about and they will create their own story or they'll deny or they'll just create something else in their head and that's what they stick with. So I wanted her to just heal from the truth I, I did mention to her that her father took his own life. 
Yeah. I didn't go into any details of, of as to how, where, um, where he, yeah. So I'm leaving all of that out, but I did, I did let her know that he wasn't well. He, he was struggling with his mental health and he did take his own life. So that's something that she, she's struggling with now, but she's opening up to me. She's, she's talking about her pain for the first year or two. She didn't want to talk about him. She didn't want to talk about her dad. She didn't want to see his pictures. She had me, Mm -hmm. you know, move a lot of stuff of his. And now she's finally starting to open up. Her smile is coming back and it's taken a long road for her. Um, but it, it was, I had to be honest. I had to be honest. That was the only way that I felt we would be able to get through this for the long run. Oh, absolutely. And I, I appreciate you you talking about the portion of, you know, her having to heal twice, you know, if you were to continue to go. Because a lot of times that's what we tend to see happen, um, you know, and, and this not just with suicide, but with, you know, I've seen conversations where, you know, kids find out that, you know, their real parent isn't who they thought it was growing up when it comes to biological parenting. And so it's like, I lived this whole time thinking this, and now here it is, I'm a grown adult, and I have to now take in all of this trauma, all of the feelings. And so, I mean, I appreciate you for your strength in doing that. Um, One of the things that we always talk about, and I know for me, even when I'm doing these presentations, is that reality of being able to deal with the hurt and pain now, because it'll probably be double or triple if you have to deal with it later. And so, um, you know, the the fact that you embrace that process of saying, hey, you know what, this is going to be a tough road, um, but it's something that I believe we can do. I think that's something that a lot of people can um, uh, take and and lean into. Uh, The next thing that I wanted to ask you, because I know that this one is is really important, but for you personally, as as the wife and with Miguel taking his own life, um, what what did that shock and grief look like for you as, you know, as his mate, as his soulmate? Well, for me, I think my situation and my specific circumstance is a little bit different than most because I felt his struggle. I felt his downward spiral for about mm-hmm. a year before he actually took his life. And I could see he was no longer present mm-hmm. physically, mentally. He was drained. He was exhausted. You can see the hurt and the pain in his eyes. And being with, I was with him since I was 16 years old. So I, I, you know, I grew up with him. Um, I was 28 when he passed. Mm -hmm. And so seeing somebody, you grow up with somebody, you know, their, their mannerisms, you know, their mood swings, and you can see the deep pain in his eyes. And I, it, it caused, it caused a huge rift in our relationship. Mm -hmm. And he began to make decisions that were affecting him at work as a law enforcement officer and with alcohol involved. It, it was a really dangerous situation that he was yeah. putting himself in driving and drinking and, and, and showing up to work still inebriated from the night before. Right, right, right. So as I was watching him, I, I had several conversations with him that, you know, you're giving up. I can tell you're giving up. We tried therapy. We tried. But the, the conclusions through our therapy sessions were he needs help on his own. He needs active he needs to really put effort into his healing because he is struggling. Yeah. So as a, as a police officer, you cannot state that you're having mental health issues because the first thing they are going to do is remove you from duty. And uh-huh. yep. so you're taking his dream away. You're taking his livelihood. You're taking what puts a 
a roof over our heads. So mm -hmm. for him, it was, you take a moment to heal, but they're going to take everything away for you that you've worked your whole life for. Exactly. So he, what he, what he felt like he was against a wall and with his military background, with the, the anniversary of his Marines death kind of looming around the corner, it created that perfect storm with the alcohol. And he made that choice. Yeah, that's, that's tough. And, and so it's interesting that you talked about, you know, your situation being different um, and, and being able to see the downward spiral for a year before it happened. Um, but I know that there are, you know, one of the things that I've seen being able to kind of sit on the background of like, you know, survivors, which you are, you know, and I want to just be really mindful for those of you all that are listening to understand that, you know, when we mention the term suicide survivor, it's not just like somebody like myself who tried to take their life and I survived. It's also the children. It's also the wife. It's also the spouse and uh, the husband. So I think that that's important to, to really put out there because I think a lot of times people do have this misconception that it's usually something that's just specific to the person mm -hmm. who, who, who tried it, but no, it's literally those he was close. They were closest and connected to. Right. And know, so his, mom, his, his dad, exactly like you all are, I mean, he survived by all of you all. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I'm pretty sure that everybody had to go through their own stage of grief. But as I've sat in, um, some of the sessions when it comes to the support groups, um, I've heard different survivors talk about the stages of grief. And I'm, I'm just curious for you, um, were, did you, did you go through any, like the stages of grief, like getting through it or? Um, I, I almost felt in denial as well in the mm -hmm. beginning. Almost. That was going to be my next question about acceptance. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was an initial shock because I had it, like I was saying, um, I, I was able to see the downward spiral. So I started grieving for him before. In he that died. process. Okay. In wow. that process, because I had to separate myself from him because we have three minor children. And for me, it wasn't an option to have you at home drinking heavily and, and no longer being the person that you once were not physically abusive, but verbally. Yeah. And um, there was just certain things that he was no longer himself. So I could no longer have that relationship with him in my home, with our children in the home. So my grieving process began while he was still living. And for him, and it's, it's really unfortunate, suicide was always in the back of his mind. Mm -hmm. Being in the military, seeing multiple deaths and suicide on a daily yeah. basis, yeah. you always have that as an option. So for him, it was always in the back of his mind. And it was something that he threatened me with repeatedly. And after a while, I just became numb to it. I became numb to him, the idea of it, it actually happening. So when it did happen, I, it was just a denial, a numbness, but also uh, I was very prepared for it. So mm -hmm. my emotions were pretty much drained at that point. And I was just in autopilot. You go into autopilot and you just survive instinctually. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that sounds that's real. And you, you do like you say you do. So I guess on the back end, because that was one of the things that my buddy uh, Lev talked about last week was his struggle of acceptance. And it's interesting, like his struggle of acceptance came from the fact that he said that um, it was two things. Uh, the first was that when he first got the news as a nine year old from his mom, there was a guy that lived on their block that looked just like his dad. And he was like, Oh, no, they probably just got the wrong person. Right. And then after that, you know, for the longest time, he thought it was a setup and that his dad was murdered. So he said, he, he told me that it wasn't until, you know, almost 
11 years later when he was sitting in his college dorm room, when he finally accepted, he said he broke down, literally just broke down in tears, cried for like two hours. His, one of his friends that was with him had to call his mom and his mom drove all of his brothers and sisters up 45 minutes away, you know, from Flint, Michigan to the school that he was at. And, you know, it, it was one of those things where I know obviously acceptance can kind of hit at different points for different people. Mm -hmm. And so you were coming to the reality early on because you were seeing it. And that, that mm -hmm. I think that's important to state too. Um, and, and if you want to speak to this, please do. But um, for many of us, when it comes to um, grief, it's not always the loss, like the big loss that maybe essentially is death. Yeah. Sometimes that grieving is literally, man, I'm noticing a pattern that I don't necessarily know if they're going to come back from. That's exactly And you start to detach. Yeah. That's exactly what it was for me. And I had to detach myself because one of us had to be okay for the kids. Yeah, yeah. So with it, three it, little ones, it makes sense. Absolutely. I had my, my youngest son was maybe three months old when I noticed mm -hmm. uh, some type of a turn in, in, his, in his way of being. And just like you said, I, I had to detach myself because if I wasn't okay, I'm nursing a small child. So my concern was, I need to keep this baby alive. He's a, mm -hmm. I'm nursing a baby and he's Absolutely. nursing from my body. So yep. I have to provide the life, the nutrients to give him life. So I, I, I had to make a difficult choice and, and um, allow him to find his own way. And, and yeah. I, I, would, I, I attempted, I went to his police department, I went to a therapist with him. We, we tried, I talked to his sergeant, I talked to his captain. It just that somebody has to want to help themselves in order for it to stick. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, and, and I, I think about Miguel, even though I never got a chance to know him. And I think about myself with that. That was literally the thought process I had after my final suicide attempt. It was like, Richard, you are going to continue to go down this path until um, you either die or um, you you make the decision to get the help. And um, after my final attempt, like there was, I mean, the ideology behind suicide was still there for a while, just because I'm like, it doesn't just go away overnight, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it took a lot for me to embrace, and I won't even just say the practices of therapy, right? It, before, before we get to like what they tell us to do as far as best practices, there was such a hard embrace of accepting the help when it comes to like, hey, like you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to let somebody else in. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you can speak to that in some way, okay. shape or form, because I know that definitely we talk about like alcohol being involved. And I mean, being a Marine, I know it's not easy. Well, one of my gym partners who it's funny because you remind me so much of him with all of the hardcore gym videos. He's 52. <laughs> he's shaped like Shannon Sharp but he is a retired special force Marine. And this guy, he told me that he had seen so much death that he was uncertain of how he was gonna come back to the States and where he served and losing so many of his devil dogs. Mm -hmm. And he, he, for him, he said it was faith that helped him. It was his faith because he was born in, in the South and he grew up in the church, so that helped him. Um, for other people, obviously, I'm in Washington State, you know, we have a heavy, heavy, you know, um, space of, of, of military veterans and current active duty, um, you know, servicemen and women as well. And so I think that it's so important because everybody tries to find that help who can in some way, shape or form. 
But then, you know, the therapy piece, as I've worked with more veterans, that has been one of the biggest things. It's kind of like, you know, when you are tactically trained and being able to, to shoot down or snipe something or someone away from, from so many yards out or, or the hand-to-hand -hand combat, whatever it might be, you know, it, it becomes a lot harder to really open up your heart and your mind to yeah. what many would consider weak, but is actually the strongest muscle that you could be investing into. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I, I think about your point of at some point in time, we've got to be able to go and seek out that help for ourselves. Like you did all you could, but at the same time with three children and your, your youngest being a baby, you can't put them at risk. And so that's a hard thing to say. I know it is. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a hard thing to live, but I just want to say that you are respected so much for being able to, 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 to make that decision. Cause this is not, I mean, it's trauma for you too. It was, it was very traumatic. It was exhausting. It was, yeah. it was mentally, physically exhausting to worry about somebody on a daily basis and whether today would be the day. Yeah. Whether today, would, would it be today? Would it be next week? Is he okay? And if he was okay, is he going to be okay for just a few days or is this, is this episode going to come? Because it, that was cycle look like? of it. it was that cycle. It was that continuous roller coaster that I got to the point where I have to remove myself from the roller coaster because he's bringing both of us down. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, Miguel passed in March 7th, 2017. 17. So then I think, I think we got connected later on in that year in 17. Cause mm -hmm. I remember I was in Seattle and that's when, that's when we had started following each other. And so and through my grieving process, it was sharing little bits of my story online, yeah. meeting others. Because I, I live in Lompoc, in Lompoc, California. It's a very small town. Um, we are about three hours north of LA mm -hmm. and about maybe five hours south of San Francisco with a lot of smaller rural areas near me. So you're right there in the middle, is, yeah. There isn't access to much mental health um, professionals. Uh, there, the, the pool is very small here. Uh-huh. So I kind of ran through the list. I found a lady that I absolutely adored. She had to retire. And, and you know, starting uh, to process all over again. Yeah. And so I have, so for me, social media and connecting to certain people helped in my grieving process because it kind of, I followed, I was following organizations that, that worked with veterans and they mm -hmm. led me to meeting, um, finding this organization TAPS which provides you with monthly newsletters. And then from there, I just kind of started reading those out and started getting books that would help my healing and pretty much finding it, finding any way I can to just get my hands on material that would help me in the grieving process and kind of aid me and guide me in the right direction. Because I mean, I never lost somebody period. So to right. my first major loss is to suicide. And, and it's my husband at 28 years old. I was just looking for resources anywhere. So using social media as a way to just kind of be transparent helped me so much in just allowing me to be able to be in the comfort of my home, quietly yeah. sitting in the corner somewhere where my kids are, are, are happy and playing and I can just kind of release my emotions Yeah. and then continue on with my day. And, and yeah. they don't, people don't see me. I mean, you're seeing me now, but... <laughs> You know, it, 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 that comfort of not having them, you know, in front of me, it, it, it yeah. helped a lot just be able to spill the things that were on my mind. 
No, that's that's good. And that's such a great point, because this is the first time in three years that, like you said, it's like, yo, like, I'm seeing you now, like, boom. Yeah. But no, that makes so much sense. And so I was going to actually ask about that, because and I, I get it, too, because your situation um, might be different for, you know, let's say a spouse who um, whose who's, uh, husband or wife wasn't in the service, right? But I think when we talk about support, um, support is universal. You know, obviously there might be a little bit more on the side of veteran support here and there, but then there is support for those who lose people who aren't necessarily serving, right? Where did you find your support or how did you find your support? I know you mentioned a little bit, um, were there other support systems, family, friends, uh, groups? I mean, for me, the day of his suicide, I had a group of friends who dropped everything and were at my door within that hour. I mean, wow. they have they were full-time jobs. They, they have kids. I, I, now that I think back of it, I'm like, how, what must they have done to just leave work yeah. and drop everything, the kids, and come straight to my aid? And I, I, it, it was literally as I was telling you that I was running through things in my head to discuss. Mm-hmm. That was one of the moments that stood out to me was having friends that literally dropped everything for the first two weeks and, and were here with me in the evenings. Make I had people bringing me dinners. I had people that I didn't know um, because I live in a small community when an, a law enforcement officer dies by suicide in a town of 40,000 people. It's, yeah, it's everybody knows crazy. or it kind of, yeah. So I had people dropping food off at my house, giving, giving us just any type of support cards. So that kind of helped get through the first initial period. Um, all of that, you know, fades away and people go back to their normal lives. And, you know, I'm kind of left with the reality of my situation. So from there, I just decided because of, because I spent so much time grieving before he passed, mm-hmm. I, I grieved our relationship, the partner, the father of my kids, that, that best friend that I, I, I grew up with. Um, I spent a lot of time alone and, and figuring out what does Myra want to do with her life. So I already had a plan of, I need to go back to school. I need to follow my education. So That's in dope. a way for me, as I was healing, a part of my healing process was looking at myself and, and focusing on some of the things that brought me a little bit of joy. And for me, that was pursuing one of my goals was just going back to school and getting that, that associate's degree, getting that undergrad, you know, getting into an undergrad program. Mm-hmm. So it, it began for me in leaning on my friends, leaning on the therapist that I found. And once her practice, once her, she closed her practice, I then started searching for other therapists, didn't find much that really fit me. And I felt mm-hmm. comfortable that that connection, I think it's important to find a connection to a therapist in order for it to really help. Absolutely. Um, and I then went on this journey of looking within and spiritually and, and, and kind of following my faith. I do have a strong belief in God, belief in God. Um, but I also believe in the power of the universe and our thoughts and, and the goodness that we put out into the world and, and mm-hmm. being of help to others and how much joy that brings you back. Mm-hmm. So I just, I've, I, I've turned to a lot of, a lot of outlets and those little bits and pieces, fitness for me, I turned to yoga as, as that mental, I, that I needed that mental clarity. I needed that one hour a day to just not, not deal with the thoughts of suicide and yeah. being an only parent. So yoga helped focusing on my physical health, helped with my mental health and also journaling. I began journaling as soon as he passed in 2017. And I think I've journaled Such an important before. Piece. 
I've journaled more from 2019 to 2020 than I did the first two years because of that awkward feeling of what do I write down and what do I say, but journaling has been a huge outlet for me. And just um, participating in activities that allowed me to speak of his memory, the um, suicide prevention walks. Mm -hmm. I've joined, um, I've done a, it's a shooting organization where they shoot for veterans. Okay. So I've participated in a couple of their um, competitions and nice. it just allows me to talk about him. So allows me just to f remember that he's a person and not forget his memory. Absolutely. Now that's incredible. Um, and I love that. And so I think that that kind of segs right into the next piece, which is that process of moving forward. So you talked about um, uh, going back to school, getting mm -hmm. an education, getting your degree, um, and then now, obviously, you know, and it's amazing too. I feel like, you know, people ask a lot of questions um, when I finish up with speeches um, about purpose and passion or purpose or passion. And one of the things that I've always talked about is that how I, I truly believe, and this is just from lived experience, and it kind of sounds like you have really started to hit the, the nail on the head with this, which is that purpose and that passion piece have, have started to align on a greater level now, mm -hmm. obviously because of what Miguel went through, because of his death, because of how he passed. And I think that that's so important um, in the process of moving forward. It was for me um, where I figured out like, cause purpose was something as somebody who dealt with suicide for, you know, a span of 10 or so years, that was the biggest question I'd always had was like, what is my life's purpose or feeling like I didn't have a purpose. And because of that, I started to live like it. Um, but then also on the flip side, it's like when you finally find something that you're passionate about. And for me, it was once I got to a better space, once I started finding that joy, you talked about journaling. That was something that I did a lot of. You talked about um, the fitness piece. And it's funny because I actually I'm more passionate about fitness now. Like when it when I first had to lose all of that weight, I was not passionate at all. I was scared because I didn't want to <laughs> die because I had bad health issues. Right. But it, it was funny, like it became habitual. Mm -hmm. And then it became a passion, which is why I was so frustrated, you know, that I couldn't run this week, even though I hated running when I first started my weight loss process. It, and so you're doing that. And I think that that's great. So you have this process of moving forward in 2020. Now, obviously, things aren't perfect. Um, you still think about him. The kids still think about him. But what are some of the, the I guess, what is that that day to day process of you know when you have those moments or when things aren't necessarily the best what are what are you turning to now in the process of moving forward or what kind of keeps you going whether it's big or small well right now i think just to, to talk about this briefly um i have this little code word or with my daughter it's just a saying that you just have to tell me mom i need you i'm having one of those moments one of those days Mm -hmm. And it's a day that I know that his memory is heavy on her heart. And when she tells me I'm having one of those days, I instantly know we need to drop everything, forget about the world around us and just focus on us and our mm -hmm. process and just feeling those feelings. So part of moving forward for us is still acknowledging the lingering pain that kind of follows through on the day to day, because my daughter still, I still, she still did dance. She does swimming. Obviously with COVID, we're still completely shut down here in, in a lot of, yeah. of our um, industries, but we've still continued to want to do walks and hikes and, you know, spend time with grandparents. Nice. So part of us moving forward is acknowledging that there are still going to be a lot of heavy moments that, you know, arise from our past, 
But yeah. finding the code word, finding something um, that I know immediately what is wrong and I just need to be there. I just need to be present so that we, that allows us to move forward. And so now we are just trying to kind of, my goal is to eventually move out of our town just to give my kids a new experience. But I think yeah. also just teaching them um, life goes on. Let's find our new joys. Let's find our, our new normals. Let's create our own memories. And, and I like to, I'm one of those people that likes to really be thankful for the, for the day. So I'm thankful. I am in my, I'm journaling and I'm thankful for my coffee. I'm thankful for my one mm. hour. I'm thankful for the ability to stand up, to use my body, to move my body. So I try to allow my kids to kind of listen to me and hopefully that me drilling this in their head will help guide them and and accept their father's passing but also help them just look forward to another day just because they're thankful for the opportunity for another day absolutely no that is so good and so it's amazing that you mentioned that because for friday's episode last week um i had my friend on who's a therapist and she talked a lot about this whole attitude of gratitude um and, and just allowing that to be a practice because it is very helpful in being able to remember things like the little things. Um, and she, she started talking about how it can be like a real quick mental shift for people when it comes to, um, God, I forgot the term that she used. Um, oh, she was saying like from a therapy standpoint, they're always encouraging their clients to become present with their thoughts. And she was saying that those bad thoughts immediately get interrupted when you can make that list of what you're grateful for. Kind of reminds me of my grandmother growing up. My grandma would always be, baby, count your blessings, right? Or, you know, everybody says something different, but at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's those moments that interrupt those negative thoughts that could seep into sadness, sorrow, anxiety, depression, and everything else. So long them and they will linger on if you let them. So it's, I like to stop them when we feel them. So I created that little kind of code word and she'll text me and she's had a lot of those recently. I think it's because not socializing with her girlfriends doing zoom in your, in your bedroom mm -hmm. in fifth grade is not fun as a hormonal <laughs> sure. teen. It's, it's a, it's a mix of everything for her right yeah, now. Yeah. So you know, we just, I, I try to get her to stay in the moment and stay present and, and count her blessings. And mm -hmm. she probably, I, I annoy her to death. I know that's not what you want to hear when you're 10 years old. So I try to be present for her feelings and let her know that it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be upset. If you need a moment, let's be upset. You have every right yeah. to be upset. I would, I, I'm upset and I'm 31 years old. So at, at 10, this is your father. I can't imagine how you feel. So exactly feel it. I'm here for you. I will be here with you, but we still have to turn homework in soon and yeah, we still have to move it. forward, That's honey, real. and I love you. But, you know, we still, we still have to live and, and I'm looking forward to continuing and, and hopefully growing and expanding, you know, a small business here with my, with my training here in my garage and expanding my gym and just giving them, I'm, I have to be home with them because I'm, you know, their only parent. So I'm here on Zoom yeah. Monday to Friday, eight to one. Um, and, you know, training my clients 5, 6 a.m. And, and I'm hoping that by me continuing to live my life, it gives my children an example that through difficulties, we can grow and, and still learn new things and still mm -hmm. pursue. And even though our life can shift completely from one day to the next, there's still a beauty in living in general. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I'm hoping that by me just kind of keeping that thought in our home in our in my head in our home in their heads that 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 guides them that that yeah. that just helps propel them forward 
Absolutely. Resilience and perseverance were the two words that I thought about, as you said, your children yes. watching you yes. continue to move forward. So um, I know you I, I know you got a lot going on with your kiddos and I don't want to hold you for too much longer. So I will say this. Um, there are people who um, are going to hear this that might have already lost a spouse. Um, maybe they lost a family member or a friend and there are some nuggets that they can take from this as well. Um, and there might be somebody who ends up hearing this, God knows what, two, three years from now, and maybe they experience a loss, um, in this regard, any last words of encouragement that you would give to anybody listening right now? Um, I would say, don't allow anybody to rush your healing process. Really take that moment to yourself and, and you have to look within to figure out what works for you because what mm -hmm. works for me, what works for you may not work for somebody else. But there is something that will that will work. There Absolutely. is. I don't want anybody to ever lose hope that that there that they can overcome their pain because the pain isn't forever, but the pain doesn't go away unless you acknowledge the pain, mm -hmm. unless you deal with the pain and you overcome the pain, and then it becomes bearable, and then you can actually see that there's so much beauty left in life. So I think it's important to not rush and and look within, look within, yeah. and really, really um, sit with your feelings sit in the discomfort, but know that there is a greater purpose for you in life. And, and I'm a strong believer in faith and in God. So I think that God always has, you know, God always has my back. I, yeah. I've, I'll always feel that way. I always feel that, that God is behind me and, and I have so much that hold me up. So I, I want other people to also, even if they're not believers in God, just believe in the faith that there is another day coming. So yeah. just hold on. Absolutely. That's amazing. Myra, thank you so much. Um, you you hit on so much and so many gems in this episode that I know people are going to be able to take from. Uh, before we go, um, I know you're doing a lot for anybody who might need the support, who might want to follow you on this journey and even grow. Where can they find you? Where can they follow you at on social media? Uh, oh, yeah. So they, they can follow me on Instagram, on my Facebook. Um, I don't even know what my actual Instagram name is. <laughs> my ex Coach Myra, that is my fitness page. Um, you can find, I just like to post my workouts. I just like to inspire other people who are out there and with kids, moms, workers students it can be done just time management and making creating a good routine and schedule for you but um instagram x coach myra and it's x o dot myra 2506 that is my regular personal page so anytime anybody wants to link up love come it. say hello love it thank you so much myra once again and for those of you all that are listening in thank you for tuning into this episode as always you're not losing in life you're not failing you were simply between the dream. Um, this has been probably the hardest episode for me to just hold back tears um, to see somebody that I've gotten a chance to see from afar now even more so up close and personal. So Myra, I'm grateful. I know my listeners are grateful. Thank you so much. Thank um, you. Absolutely, guys. Uh, we got one more episode coming this week before the month is over um, as we close out suicide prevention. So make sure you all stay tuned. Happy Monday. Have a great day. And let's have a phenomenal week. Peace.